what the heck? <laughs> Sheesh. Let's all say Merry Christmas to each other. <laughs> we do that? Merry Christmas. Oh, my goodness. Say to someone else, it's all about love. Wow, praise God. Uh, Josh, thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, wow, that was awesome. That was amazing. Um, we do have some administrative-minded people in here, so uh, if it would help to kind of grease the tracks and make it smoother next year, we'd, yeah, we'd love to have some people. Uh, I don't know where you are, if he's still here, but uh, yeah, would love, would love for that to, uh, to happen so that uh, more kids could experience the love of God. Amen. Uh, we've been talking about uh, Christmas. Two days from now, oh boy, two days from now, billions of people all around the world <laughs> are going to celebrate the birth of this child, Jesus, a child that we sang about, the child who changed the world. Whether you, and I know a lot of you are maybe new today, so welcome. Thanks for being uh, part of what God's doing in here. Um, whatever your religious background or persuasion or belief system might be, here's the reality. You cannot get too far in life without realizing or running into the influence of Jesus Christ in our world. Every time you look at the date on a calendar, you're realizing today, December 23rd, 2018, 2018 is telling us that we are 2018 years since the time of Jesus Christ's life. Every time you say, hey, what year are we in? 2018, we're moving into 2019. You're declaring the fact that Jesus Christ is the center point of history. Everything before him was called before Christ. Everything after him is called A.D. Whatever you believe about this man, Jesus, one thing is crystal clear, is that he has changed the world the way that we know it. Yaroslav Pelikan, he's a historian. He's a professor at Yale University. He says, if you were somehow to take this super magnet from the sky and were to suck up everything in our world that bears the name, the trace, the fingerprint, of the work of Jesus Christ, then the world would be completely unrecognizable. From this group of 12 people, that's where it started. Now a third of the world follows the life and teachings of this man, Jesus Christ. That's crazy. If you live here in America, which many of us do, America would not have been a nation had it not been for people who left Great Britain in order that they could worship this Jesus that we have come to adore on Christmas Day and for all the days of our lives. In fact, if you're from uh, a Korean background, uh, our independence, the Korean independence from Japan came as the result of the blood, sweat, and lives laid down for the sake of Jesus Christ in order that they might propagate the name of Christ in their nation. Right? If you're Korean, you wouldn't be here if it had not been for the work of Jesus Christ and his followers. Hospitals were formed because Jesus said, my ministry, my kingdom will look like this in three ways. I'll preach, I'll teach, and I'll heal the sick. And your mission as the people of God is to do the same, to preach, to teach, to make the invisible kingdom visible here by caring for sick people and taking care of their needs. And so the followers of Jesus said, instead of us going to all these people, let's bring all of these people together, let's call them hospitals, and let's care for the sick in one centralized location. Every time you go to a hospital, you're seeing that this is the work of those who follow the name of Jesus. Anytime you go to a street, a city, a school, a church, and anything that 
bears the name of Saint something, Saint Jude, Saint John, Saint Luke, Saint Peter, Saint Louis, Saint Augustine. It all comes from people who follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. 93% of the first 183 colleges in America, including Harvard, Yale, the College of William and Mary, Princeton, were started in order that men and women who follow as disciples of Jesus Christ could be trained and equipped to impact the world. Whatever you believe about this Jesus, the reality is that the birth of that child has changed everything. And in two days, the world around is going to come and celebrate the birth of this child who's changed the world as we know it. And this is how they'll celebrate. Here in America, hundreds of billions of people will spend $600 billion on stuff and the great majority of them will never think about the Jesus whose birth we've come to celebrate. Here's the sadder reality, that it's also pretty much the same story within the church. Yeah, we'll sing our songs on Christmas Sunday. We'll do our song and dance on Christmas Day. But for the greater part of our Christmas celebration, a lot of times, y'all, it doesn't look much different from the way the rest of the world does it. And the one when we sing, of whom we sing, hail the Prince of Peace, we find his peace and his presence to be so elusive amidst all of the craziness of the season. We've been in this series here for the past four weeks. If you're new, I'm going to get you up to speed real quick. We've been saying there's got to be a better way of doing Christmas. There's got to be a better way of celebrating Christmas so it doesn't get like this and we don't end up feeling like we've got a hole in our soul when we come to worship Jesus on the most important day of the Christian calendar, at least one of the three most important days. And so we've been saying, hey, let's join an Advent conspiracy and do things differently. We could do that in three ways. One, if we worship fully, not bowing at the altar of stuff or worshiping the idol of consumerism, but worshiping Jesus and just kind of pulling away from that, all that stuff to get into the story a little bit and to come and adore the one born the king of angels. The second thing we said, if we really worship Jesus fully, then something's going to happen. It might cause us to say, I want to I spend less on frivolous gift. I want to spend less on obligatory gifts. I want to spend less on things that people are just going to re-gift next year and no one's ever going to open that gift and use it for anything meaningful or worthwhile. It's just something I'm doing because I got to do it. Let's Let's stop a little bit. Let's pause a little bit. Let's decide to spend less. And then we begin to realize that we've got more to give. And we've got more to give. It may not, may not be in the form of currency of money, but in the currency of value that shows up in our time or in our presence or in our heart, whatever it might be. But a lot of times it does end up showing up in our wallets and in our pocketbooks. And so today what I want to talk about is kind of what Josh talked about. I want to talk about this idea of loving everyone, loving all. The first Christmas changed the world in a way that had Christmas not happened, the world would be completely different. Today, the question I want to ask is, can Christmas still change the world? And what I want to bring before you today is, I don't think this is that audacious an ask, not of God and not of us either. I want to talk about this idea that if we love all, then today, today, 2018, 2018 years after, some many years after, Christmas can still change the world. I believe this with all of my heart to be true. Let's look at Luke chapter 2. We're going to read 
the true gospel account of Luke, a medical doctor, a good friend of the apostle Peter, who heard the story, who heard the news, who heard all of these things recorded after eyewitness accounts and testimonies. Uh, Luke's gospel has access to women testimony, to the poor, to all kinds of different people that Matthew, Mark, and John don't have because Luke being a doctor was constantly in contact with a broad cross-section of people. And so hearing their stories, this was his account of the good news of the coming of Jesus Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. Luke 2, 1 through 12. In those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee all the way in the north, okay, to Judea to Bethlehem all the way in the south, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. See, the shock and the scandal of that. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger. There was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This is God's word. Amazing, amazing. Um, This non-sterilized, non-Christmas card version of the way things actually happened, there is a scandal and a a, a scent of disgrace in all of it. So what is it telling us about how, by loving all, Christmas can still change the world? Two thoughts here. The first thing, reminder, maybe not something that you uh, need to be taught, but here's the first thing. People matter more than things, okay? People matter more than things. And the least person matters more than the greatest thing. People matter more than things. And the least person matters more than the greatest thing. Christmas has a way of kind of exposing our hearts, doesn't it? And and showing us, revealing us, uh, revealing our values, not only to ourselves but to other people as well. You can see this when uh, you write your wish list. Someone asks you, hey... Hey, what do you want for Christmas? I want to get you something. What can I get you for Christmas? The answer to that question has a way of revealing the things that you value. I know for my kids it does. I know for me as a kid it did. I would always want uh, the toys, right? I always want the toys. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it's because my brother did or because someone at school did and I thought it was cool. Number one on my shopping wish list was always world peace. (laughs) I always wanted world peace for some reason. But maybe because I I, I didn't want people like Josh having to go to war. But... I always wanted these different things because our shopping list tells us and tells you what you value, your Christmas wish list. Uh, I remember as a kid, 
uh, my values were all about the Godzilla toy, about the Chips helicopter, about the police car, and all these things. My values were not, did not lie in the form of clothes. And so when my aunts and uncles would come over on Christmas and they would give me a big hug because they hadn't seen me in a long time, and I would get so excited. For me, it was all about the gifts. It was all about the stuff and not about the people. And so I'd give them a hug and I'd look at their hands to see what they had in their hands for me. And inevitably and invariably, starting at the age of like five, I would get these rectangular boxes that I knew no toy would ever be wrapped inside of, and then I would get upset. And my poker face was really bad, and so I just had this look like, dang it, I got another sweater, I got another shirt, I got another pair of pants that I don't like, and my parents are going to make me wear to church because I have to show my respect to my family members and all that. And I, would, I would hate it. Someone said, someone said, you as a kid, you stop believing that Santa Claus is real when you start getting clothes from Santa Claus, right? Anybody feel me? That was me. I was five years old. I got that green IZOD sweater. I was like, they can't, I didn't ask for that from Santa Claus. Come on now. But that would reveal my values. Christmas has a way of showing us our values. And here, what does America value? We value $600 billion tells us that we value stuff. We value things. We value gadgets. We value toys. We value games. We value all of these appliances, not, not, none of which is a bad thing in and of itself. But that's what we value. But the question is, during Christmas, are we able to kind of pull back a little bit and come back to this truth that at the end of the day, people matter more than things? Because that's what God is trying to say at Christmas. He could have sent his son into the world any way that he wanted. Any way that he wanted, God could have sent his son. If I, as a parent, having gone to uh, Winnie Palmer Hospital three times, I know what I want my children to be born into. A nice sterilized environment. A nice bed for me, a Murphy bed that comes out and I can lay down on that thing. And my kid in a nice incubated warm crib. Look at it. Of all the ways that Jesus, the son of God, <laughs> the son of the king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. How could he, I, I, any way he could have been born. It says, check it in, in verse 7. She wrapped him in cloths. She did not clothe him in clothes, mind you. There is a difference between the word cloth, plural cloths, and clothes. She did not wrap him in clothes. She wrapped him in cloths, multiple cloths, multiple rags that were the initial clothing of the Son of God. No carters for the Christ there. No gymboree for Jesus. No gap kids for God's kid. Nah, none of that stuff. Wrapped in cloths. And then, well, certainly he, he had to have at least gotten a crib from Pottery Barn or somewhere like that. <laughs> and placed him in a manger. If you speak French, you know that the word manger means to eat. A manger is a place from which animals would eat. That was his MTV, fat crib, a manger. What is God saying? Well, there's one thing he's saying. If Christmas tells us what we value, okay, because there was no room for him in the inn. In the Bethlehem Hilton, no vacancy. In the Weston of Bethlehem. Hey, the only place left in town, it's where the horses 
and the cows and the pigs and the chickens sleep. Maybe the king of kings can have a room there. Not even a room, not even private, at least not, not what the pictures say. Here's what he's saying. He could have come in any way that I wanted him to come. But here's what I'm saying. That first Christmas, stuff doesn't really matter to me. What matters? Well, he says it in, in, in verse 11. Uh, says it I- in verse 11. Uh, Do not be afraid. Uh, verse 10. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Here's what he's saying. The reason I sent my son, the coming of my son is great joy for all the people. From the greatest to the least, for all the people. Okay, that word all means every single person, even the one that you're hating on, even the one that you think doesn't matter, even the one that, even the ones that don't really have a Christmas to celebrate because they're living in a place where they don't get gifts. My coming, Jesus says, will be good news of great joy for all the people. What matters to God? What does Christmas say? Saying it's not about stuff. Okay, it's not about stuff. It's about people. Okay, it's about people. One of my one of my friends, he uh, it was a dad of a five year old kid, and and one time, um, at early in the morning, his son woke up and he went into his room and he said, Dad, can I play with your phone? And his dad said, No, you can't play with my phone. Go do something else. And so the boy said, okay, and he walked out, and then uh, after dad fell back asleep, uh, he went into his dad's room, and he took the phone, he took his iPhone, and he went into uh, the living room and the kitchen, he started playing with it, right, playing with the phone. And then um, I'm kind of hanging out in the, at, at the dining table, um, just kind of chilling, and I, I know that the, the, the boy's there. And then next thing I hear, I hear this loud crack, crash. <laughs> the little five-year-old boy dropped his daddy's phone on the floor, and it cracked the screen. And so the boy started crying. And um, some, some kids, when they do something bad, will cry preemptively in order that they will not get in trouble. I know by personal experience. Um, I saw my brother do that. But um, <laughs> this kid, I don't think he was doing that. I think he really felt it. It was, it was genuine. He was genuine sorrow because he knew that he did something wrong. And so he goes into his dad's room and he says, Dad, I broke your phone. I broke your phone. I'm so sorry. And then this is what he said. He said, I deserve to be punished. Oh. Uh, Dad was mad. Dad, Dad knew what happened. And he was very upset. But I think in this like moment of inspiration or this moment of clarity or something happened. But he looked at his son and he said, son, you matter more than my phone. You are more important to me than my phone. I was like, dang. <laughs> Man, I'd have, shoot, I don't know what I would have done if that was my, if that was your kid, shoot. But <laughs> I think that boy heard something that day. He heard the value that even though this phone is worth so, he, he loved this phone so much, he loves me that much more than he loves that thing. He just, he's, he basically learned what we all know, that people matter more than things. But check this, guys. He doesn't just say, hey, you know what? Humanity matters more than the stuff of this life. That's not what he's saying. Okay. This will be good news of great joy for all the people. Not just all the people matter, but he's saying every person matters. That means you've never looked into the eyes of a person who does not matter to God. That's what he's saying. 
It's not just I love humanity. Right? We can say, oh, you know what? Hey, hey, what do you love? What do you, I'm trying to find a job for you. What do you love? Oh, I, I love people. I just love people. Right? That's not what God is saying. Yeah, God loves people, but he loves every person as if you were the only person in this world to love. Right? With a personal love. You mean the good people, right? You mean the Christian people, right? You mean the religious people, right? No, 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 no. We get, it's, it's crazy, right? Because the people to whom he comes, repre- the, the, the witnesses around that birth of Jesus represent a broad cross-section of humanity. There are magi from the east, the Orient, and then there are Jewish shepherds. Okay? From Jew to Gentile, they matter to him. It's the wise men and the uneducated shepherds. It's the rich people bearing gifts of gold and myrrh and frankincense. And these shepherds who smell like stinky sheep. Poor, uneducated, not welcome at any of the malls, not here in Orlando at least. But they're the ones who witness the birth of Jesus. What matters to God? What matters to him? It's not the stuff It's the people. And he says, you know what, shepherds, just in case you think the angels have gone to the wrong address, let me tell you something. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths. Again, cloths, verse 12, not clothes, and lying in a manger. And then the shepherds knew, holy cow, he identifies with people like us. No one else does. No one else gives us time of day, but Jesus does. If there could ever be a clearer statement that Jesus came not for the rich and powerful and the elite, but for all of humanity, including the least and the last and the lost and the forgotten and the overlooked, it's Christmas. Because he comes to such people. Wasn't it the brother of Jesus who would later write, is it not the poor that God has chosen to inherit, to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom that he promised to those who love him? This is what Jesus is saying. The people that you overlook, the people that maybe Josh and the firefighters saw, they matter. You you want a little bit more proof? You know how much something is worth by how long you're going to have that thing, right? If you, you, you're going to buy a car, okay, you're going to buy a car, man, you take care of that car, you love that car. If you're just going to lease it, uh, just a two-year lease, you don't love it that much. You don't love it as much. It's not as valuable. You can kind of mess around with a little bit. But if you get a one-week rental, you know what they say. It's a rental. Don't be gentle because you don't care about that thing because you ain't going to have it for a long time. The longer you've got something, the longer lasting something is, the more valuable that thing is, right? Hey, you can win Starbucks for a week. That's great if you shake your snow globe on your app and you win that thing. Oh, Starbucks for a week is great. But Starbucks for life, holy cow. Your life will be a lot shorter if you drink Starbucks for life. But still, that's for life, not just a week. Because you know the value and the worth of something by how long you're going to have. Here's what Jesus says. Check it. He says in Matthew 6, 19, let me give you a values clarification here. He says, all the stuff that you see in this life, your clothes, the seat that you're in, the gym that we're in, these flowers, everything that you see with your eyes is temporal. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven because what's eternal? The only thing that you see in this life that's eternal are the people around you. That's eternal. And he says, that's what has value. That's what has value. From the homeless person under the bridge to the king of a foreign nation, to the driver of the Bentley, to the driver of the whatever car it is that you think is not that great. 
from the smartest to the least smartest. He's saying, this is what matters. Okay, this is what matters. And the clearest identification that Jesus can give to let you know that I didn't just come for the suburban middle class, but I so deeply identify with the poor and the lost and the hurt and the broken is the way in which he comes at Christmas, the clothing, the crib, the people around him. Isn't that why a lot of times, I mean, you, you heard in the testimony, these kids who don't have a lot are buying gifts for other people because they get it. Like they understand. You would think that those who have a lot are the ones who give the most, but by percentage, it is the richest people who are easily the stingiest givers to causes related to areas of personal need. What does this mean for us? Well, the first thing it means is that people matter more than things, and the least person matters more than the greatest of things. That's something to think about this Christmas as you open up your Christmas gifts. And as you go into your bedroom to play with your new thing, or you go into your kitchen to play with your new thing, and your child wants to play with you, or your parents want to play with you, they want to go out to eat, and you say, you know what, don't worry, no, 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 you get, get away from me, I'm trying to put together this new machine here, to be reminded that people matter a whole lot more than stuff, and the least of these matters a whole lot more than the gr greatest thing that you could find in this life. It's the first thing that we see, but the second thing, and I think this is where we're going to begin to change the world, if you really get this, the second thing is, when you give a gift to the least of these, you give a gift to Jesus. Yesterday, uh, two of our harvesters got married, a couple named Jonathan and Kristen. And before the wedding, uh, about five minutes before we were to, we were to start the wedding, I, I said to the, to, the, to the bride, Kristen, I said, hey, today's your day. How do you feel? It's your day. And she said, Today is Jesus' day. Right? Today is his day. We're going to worship him. I said, okay. I put my head down and I left. <laughs> it's Jesus' day. I wrote that down. I'm going to use that in every wedding. It ain't about you. Shoot. Any groom who thinks it about him is doubly wrong because it definitely ain't about him. You're just a necessary evil. The bride, perhaps, but more that it's about Jesus. How, how, how funny would it be at Jonathan and Kristen's wedding if you were a guest? Yeah, we've talked about this, but, but just imagine you've never heard this before. And you bring a gift for, uh, you bring a hundred gifts to everybody. Oh, congrats, Jonathan and Kristen. Then you give a gift to everybody else. How funny, how silly would that be? Ah, but that's what we do often when it comes to Christmas. Well, if all... If only I, if, if Jesus was like here somewhere, like I could give him a gift, then I would do it. All right, but since I can't do that for him, I'm giving it to my loved ones, okay? So here's what, here's what Jesus is saying. You want to give a gift to Jesus? He says here at Christmas, I, ide I identify with the poor and the broken and the hurting. And if there's a passage in scripture where he makes this explicit, in Matthew 25, 35, there's this crazy passage where Jesus is kind of un, un, unpeels a scene in heaven, and he's talking to people, like Christians and non-Christians, and this is what he says. He says, hey, guys, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, 
and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then verse 37, these righteous people are like, I don't remember that, Jesus. Like, I don't, uh, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? And when did we see you sick in prison and, and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. You want to give a gift to Jesus. You want to worship fully. Okay, because this is where we come full circle with this Advent conspiracy. We said, I'm going to worship fully. Oh, come let us adore him. And, and, and just kind of hang and camp out in that place. Not like, oh, come let us adore him while I go open my presents. No. So I want to worship fully this year. And if that means I spend less on stuff to give to people that does not propagate the worship of God in their hearts or in mine or in anybody else's then I'd rather be part of the solution than part of the problem. Th yeah, than part of the problem. Thank you very much. And we decide to, 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 to spend less. We have more to give. To whom shall we give? And this is where Christmas can really change the world if we begin to love all. Do you think when you shop with a firefighter as a homeless kid that in some way Christmas changed your world? You think, I, I know we have a, a, a family in here who gave $500 uh, to shop with firefighters. Do you think that money would have been better spent in their minds to buy one another a new whatever, whatever, whatever for one another? Or do you think they really felt like, man, I really felt the warmth of worship this Christmas. Jesus says, whatever you do to the you want to give a gift to me this Christmas, here's how. $932 the average American spends on Christmas shopping. Hey, I'll just spend $50, $100 this year. I've got $832. What will I do with this? Not raise my standard of living, but I'm going to raise my standard of giving. And maybe if I find someone for whom I can give the least of these, maybe that's my gift to Jesus this year. Maybe that will, because, guys, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. You give to this place, you're going to begin to worship fully. It comes full circle in this way. He didn't say where your heart is, your treasure's going to be. Yeah, sometimes it is. You love something, you're going to give to that cause. But he says, no, 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 no. You give your treasure, your heart is going to follow that trail. You want to worship fully? You want to give a gift to Jesus? I'll tell you how you can do that. You find a cause that burns in your heart, that beats the heartbeat of God, and you say, I want to give to those people. Because that's what it means to give a gift to Jesus. Whatever that is. How Mother Teresa would wake up every morning for a decade, 30, 40, I don't know how many years she did it. I just know she was old and she did it for a long, long time. Wake up and go into the slums of India and she could care for poor people. When she won the Nobel Peace Prize, somebody's like, hey, Mother Teresa, you ain't really do that much great stuff. You weren't that successful. There's still all these poor people in the slums. And she said, God did not call me to be successful. He called me to be faithful. And how could she be faithful day after day after day? You think she ever wanted to call in sick? Ever felt like I'm not making a difference? How did she do it? Because in the face of every person whose feet she washed, she saw the face of Jesus. I'm doing this for Jesus. I'm doing this for Jesus. I'm giving a gift to Jesus. You, want to you can change the world this Christmas. Christmas can still change the world. My goodness. 
Martin of Tours, a Roman soldier back in the days, 1,900 years ago. Rich, rich, rich in spirit, but poor in physical wealth. But he loved Jesus with all of his heart. And one winter day, he was walking on the streets of Rome, I think it was, and, and he saw this homeless man, and he was shivering. He said that he was blue with frostbite because of how cold the night was. And Martin didn't have much of anything. But he knew that he could not just pass by this man. So he took his jacket off and he cut it in half. Cut his jacket in half and he gave it to this man. And the man thanked him, thanked him, thanked him. And he went on his way and he went to bed that night. And Martin of Tours said he had a dream that night. And in that dream, he was transported up into the heavenly places. Angels and Jesus were there. And Jesus was wearing a raggedy old half of a coat. And the angel said to him, Jesus, where did you get that coat? You should get a better coat. You should get a full coat. That coat is dirty. That coat is it's not fit for the king. And Jesus said, my friend Martin gave this to me. And I love this coat very much. <laughs> That's all he said. Whatever you do to the least, of these you've done it under me. Who are the least? It's the ones who are forgotten, the ones who are overlooked. It's the ones that people don't care about, the ones that people say, hey, you know what, don't worry about them. Jesus says, no, 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 no. My coming is good news of great joy for all the people, for every person. And what if we change the way we did Christmas, that we could really allow the coming of Christ to be good news of great joy for all people? Not just for the rich ones who can spend $600 billion a year getting the gifts that they want. What if it became good news of great joy because we decided to spend less and to give more? See, this Advent conspiracy began years ago when a, a group of Americans said, you know what, we got to change. We got to change the way we do this. And it just so happened that they were in Africa on that, that time when the, the, the kind of incubation of this idea was happening. And they were in Africa. They went out on Range Rover into this village. And these villagers greeted them, loved them, hugged them, gave them a big smile, hugged them. And then they walked them out through these like, uh, like very high, high, high weeds and, and grass and said, we want to show you our well where we get water from. And they went there. Uh, the American Christians were shocked. They're like, this is no well. It was a standing puddle of green water from which the women of the village were drawing as the chief and other men stood around watching, telling them of how my son died last week because of a waterborne illness. And two weeks ago, we buried the, the, the child of this person. And as they poured water that they were to drink, they were skimming off the green sludge from the top of it. These Americans had an idea. They said, we're going to build your well so that you no longer have to bury your children. And they were so excited to tell these African villagers. And the African villagers were not all that excited. And these Americans said, tell them again. Translate again to their interpreter. So the interpreter, with even more excitement, enthusiasm, was explaining, they're going to build you a well so you don't need to say goodbye to your children when your hair is white and their hair is black. You don't need to do that anymore. The response of the chief was, 
many people have come in the name of Jesus and told us that they would build us a well, but we continue to bury our children. Because somewhere along the way, followers of Jesus like you and me decided that it was good enough to see, to tell them we love them, and then to go back home and to continue to buy our gifts in exorbitant measure to people who don't really need them. Every day, every day, 5,000 people die of waterborne illnesses. Every day, in any given moment, half of hospital beds throughout the world are occupied by people who have gotten sick because of bad water. On September 11, 3,000 people died in an unjust attack, and we grieved the 3,000. Every day, 5,000 people, 3,900 children. A tragedy worse than 9-11 happening every day of our lives. And here's where, here's where it kills me, guys. This is why I'm so fired up about this Advent conspiracy. Because of $600 billion that we spend every stinking year on Christmas. The United Nations says with 15 to $30 billion, every person in the world could have clean water. That's a killer. What if we change the way? We celebrated Christmas. Could the world be changed? I'm not blowing smoke, y'all. Like, this is real life stuff. We can change the world. 20 years later, people talk about the world water crisis in the past tense. They say, what happened? Wouldn't it be awesome to be able to say the followers of Christ began to live out the call of Christ, and we actually began to follow Christ to the least, to the lost, to the forgotten, to the broken peoples, and we decided to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and the world was changed. In giving them clean water, they were able to see the love of God incarnate of the one who said, I am living water for your souls. Could the world be changed? And wouldn't it be awesome if instead of saying those Christians, we were able to say, we Christians did it. We did it because I was part of this. And in changing the way I do Christmas, I saw Christmas change the world again and again and again. Listen, it doesn't have to be about water. Right? It doesn't have to be about water. You find your own thing. And l last year, one of our high school students, Sulin, she uh, made artwork and she made it available. And with the money that was raised, 31 kids, 31 people were given clean water. That's awesome. 45 kids this Christmas. Last week at our Angel Tree Project. Uh, you find out what beats with your heart that resonates with the heart of God. One year for Allah's birthday, she said, I don't want any presents. I want you to give everything in order that kids who are, in human tra who are being trafficked could be set free. You find your own thing. Maybe it's Holt International, Adopt Orphan Care. Maybe it's, it, it's our missionary in, in Ecuador. Maybe your house church missionary. But you find a way as you, give, as you spend less so that you can give more to love all. How can Christmas change the world? How can your Christmas change the world? Because you want to give a gift to Jesus to celebrate his life, his birthday? Because whatever you do to the least of these brothers, come on. You've done it unto me. And this could change everything. And so they ask when, Jesus, when? 
how will our hearts, how will we do this? Not just, for, not just as an outward thing of the gift of our hands, but a gift of our hearts. How do we do this? Yeah, it's again by asking that question, when, Jesus, when? When did we see you naked? When did we see you like this? When did we see you thirsty? Well, he, didn't, he wasn't those things when he was in heaven, but he came into our world, and as a baby, he was naked. Cloth. He was thirsty. He was hungry. But still, Jesus, when did, we didn't take care of you then. That was your, when did we see you? When did we see you do? Jesus was the, the reason it's shocking. Jesus, you don't need all of those things. That stuff doesn't matter to you. And so at the cross, it was that the Son of God, God of God, light of life, begotten, not created, the one who eternally existed, the great I am. At the cross, that's where he was thirsty. When as he was breathing his dying breath, he said, I am thirsty. That's where he was naked. The one robed in righteousness and majesty was stripped down to his undergarments. When were you in prison? When Jesus became a prisoner for our sake, a prisoner to our sin. Sometimes, guys, the reason we don't see him in the least of these is because we don't recognize him in the wonder of the cross. But the more we see him there, the more we worship fully, the more we're able to spend less, give more, and to love all. And maybe, guys, <laughs> maybe as we do that, that Christmas can change the world again. As we enter into that, Understand that people matter a lot more than stuff. The least of these matters so much more than the greatest of things. And we see that. We give a gift to Jesus by giving a gift to the least. Man, Christmas can again change the world, even through us. Let's pray. Let's pray, spend a moment reflecting how is God moving your heart? As we move from consumerism to compassion, how can we give our lives? This website tells me that me, a pastor, a husband, the father of five, living in winter in West Orange County, Florida, I am in the 1% of the richest people in the world. Jesus Christ was rich beyond measure. The poor are not everyone out there. The poor includes us. Because we had nothing. We had nothing. And Jesus, who was rich, beyond comparison, became poor at Christmas in order that we who are poor could be made rich in him so that through his riches in us, it may overflow into loving generosity that could change the world. As we pray, let's reflect. Two days. It's not too late. As Brother Eugene said, ain't too late. All that you saved this year. You want to direct it somewhere? The world could be changed. Let's pray. Let's commit our hearts to the Lord this Christmas. I want to worship you fully. I want to spend less. I want to give more. I want to love all. And Lord, through that Christmas, let it change the world. 
Let's pray for a minute, two minutes. I'll pray for us. We'll worship through our offerings and through a couple songs as we close today. Father in heaven, we thank you so much thank you so much that you love the world and everyone in it that you gave your one and only son that whoever shepherds or wise men whoever the wise, the uneducated Whoever, the religious, the non-religious, whoever, the rich or poor, believes in him will not perish but have the life that is eternal that begins the moment you believe and changes everything. It doesn't just start when we die. That new life begins now. Freedom, hope, joy came on Christmas Day. And we celebrate that and we honor you for it. And as we worship you, may our hearts be opened up so that we can love the world that you so love. Thank you so much. May Christmas, the Christmas that changed our world and that changed our lives, continue to bring about change even through our lives. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.